Amen. Well, he sure is, isn't he? And I'm glad and thankful that he is. How many of you brought your Bible with you this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me now back in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament this morning, chapter number 35. Jeremiah, chapter 35. Let me help you with that if you have an old Schofield Bible. It's page 811 if you have an old Schofield Bible. And if you'll join me there, the book of Jeremiah. If you don't have an old Schofield Bible, Jeremiah's a lot really the longest book in the Bible. I told you, I think, on last Wednesday night, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah has more words in it than any other book of the Bible. So it's the longest book in the Bible, Jeremiah. And we're in chapter 35 this morning, again, page 811. While you're finding your place there, hey, don't forget, service this afternoon, 5.30 for our service. Now, go, go, go see your daddy today. Call him, see him. You know, somebody once said this, said, uh, when you're young... Let's see, when you're a little, you call them dada. When you're a little bit older, you call them daddy. When you hit the teenage years, you call them dad. And then from there on out, you call them collect. <laughs> so, but whether you got call him collect or not, I know he would love to hear from you today. So go see your earthly dad, but don't forget your heavenly father and come back to church tonight at 530. And I hope you'll be back for our service uh, this afternoon. Prayer room at 5.05, and we got much to pray about as we head into these days. Just uh, one more thing, if I could just remind you, if you can, bring a pop-up tent with you next Sunday morning to set out here because the, the tent will only seat 720. And uh, so we're going to need some of those pop-up tents to, uh, you know, for folks to get under for shade. I saw the forecast this morning. It actually looks pretty good for next weekend, but don't quit praying, all right? Pray specifically. We need a high of 70. Humidity of 40%, a light northwesterly breeze with a partly cloudy with the sun in and out, and uh, so on a temperature of uh, 70 degrees. What do you think? Pray for spe specifically uh, for the weather next week and uh, watch it be 99 and uh, raining and uh, humidity 314%. But anyway... We need to pray about it. Ask the Lord to help us with all of that. Jeremiah 35, if you're there, would you say amen? Hey, I want you to look this way, if you will. I read this week, by the way, happy Father's Day. I read this week about a mother who had brought her little six-year-old boy a puppy. Well, when she brought it home, she said, Now, son, you've got to pick out a name for your dog. And he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and finally he come up with the name of Laddie. Laddie. So he named his puppy Laddie. Well, Laddie turned out to be a terror on four paws. He was constantly chewing up things. He was often found turning over the trash cans and eating the trash out of the trash cans. He was drinking the water out of the commode. He tore up the newspaper every morning till finally the mama said, that's enough. He has got to go. Well, one morning when her son is sitting there eating breakfast, she told him, Laddie, has got to go. I'm giving him away today. And to her surprise, her son said, It's okay, Mom. I understand. Don't worry about it. Well, that afternoon when her son got home from school, he, he started searching for Laddie. Well, after a frantic search, he came to his mama and he said, Mama, have you seen Laddie? She said, don't you remember? I told you this morning I was going to give Laddie away. He said, Laddie, I thought you said Daddy. 
Well, you know what's really sad but true about that little story? Is there's an element of truth to it. I mean, you know, in a lot of instances today, daddies are so disconnected and uninvolved from what's going on in their families, for the most part, the family just basically operates without their daddy. Now, there are cases where the father, fatherly influence, is, is, is no longer in the home whatsoever. Here's an old boy that, that uh, walks off. Maybe he finds somebody he thinks he's going to love better. You know, she's got, the, uh, she's got all that green stuff on above her eyes, look like her gallbladder's busted, and, boy, she's got all that perfume and that rouge on, and, boy, he just falls head over heels in love with her. He comes home, tells his wife, I don't love you anymore, walks off from her and the children, leaves them holding the bag. You know what that is? That's a deadbeat daddy. That's exactly what that is. Physically, they have forsaken their homes. But you know what concerns me more than that is, is the number of fathers who have spiritually forsaken their homes. You know, there's a lot of good daddies sitting in this room today as far as being good providers, men who love their wives and their children, but men who have absolutely no spiritual leadership in their homes whatsoever. In fact, when it comes to anything spiritual, they are A-W-O-L, absent without official leave. They've deserted their post as the spiritual head of their family. Well, this morning what I want to do is I want to read to you in, Je in Jeremiah chapter 35 the story of an amazing family. That's right. What we have here in this Old Testament passage kind of tucked away way back in our Bible, we have the story of an amazing family. But let me tell you this. The reason that this is a story about an amazing family is because they had an amazing father. That's right. It was the father of this family that made this family so amazing. Now, his name is Jonadab. Now, I know, I know, I know you couldn't wait. You were so excited when you drove up this morning thinking, you know, I hope our preacher preaches on Jehonadab this morning. You probably went to bed last night and dreamed about Jehonadab. That's right. You probably said, I sure hope our preacher stands up and preaches on Jehonadab this morning. No, he's not one of those people we think a lot about. He's not up there with the Moses and the Joshuas and the Davids and the Pauls of the Bible. He's, not one of, he's one of those not-so-well-known, not-so-famous people in the Bible. But i got to tell you something. His story is an amazing story. Now, before I read you his story, let me give you a little background to our text this morning. Jeremiah, the prophet, the prophet of God, has been called and appointed by God to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. He's been told by God to go tell Judah that if they don't repent and if they don't return to God, that judgment is on its way. In fact, if you know anything about the book of Jeremiah, you'll know that he prophesied for over 40 years, prophesied, preached for over 40 years. He was pleading and begging with the people of God, warning them, if you don't return and if you don't repent and if you don't get right, judgment is on its way. Oftentimes, Jeremiah even had tears coursing down his cheeks as he warned the people of God about the coming judgment of God. That's the reason Jeremiah is called by many the weeping prophet. I mean, he had tears constantly streaming down his cheeks as he delivered the harsh message of judgment. Forty years he preached, get right, 
judgment's going to come. And as we know from the book of Jeremiah, his message fell on deaf ears. In fact, to put it mildly, they didn't believe Jeremiah. They didn't believe God. They refused to listen. So God in our text this morning does an unusual thing. So what God does is he tells Jeremiah, go pick out a family in the land of Judah and use them as an illustration, as an example of the blessings and the benefits that comes to those who listen and follow what they're told to do. And Jeremiah goes and picks out this family with a father by the name of Jehonadab and holds them up as an example, as an illustration to all the land of Judah of what happens when people obey God and when they listen to God. And he picks out this family. So let me do this. Let me stop now and read the story. Look at Jer Jeremiah 35. Look at verse number 2. So God comes... Well, let me just read verse 1. The word which came unto Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying... So now God has come to Jeremiah. All right, I got something I want you to do. Look at verse 2. Go unto the house of the Rechabites and speak unto them and bring them. Now, you're, this is going to be an amazing thing. But he said, now, Jeremiah, I want you to go and find out the house of those Rechabites, and I want you to bring them into the house of the Lord. Now, so far, we're doing good. Because he said, hey, go get this family and bring them into God's house. You know, every family ought to, ought to have a place in the house of God. Can, am I right about that? Every family ought to be found in the house of God. So he says, hey, go get them, bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and now we're going to run into some problems. Notice what Jeremiah's told to do. And give them wine to drink. Now, hold on. <laughs> hold everything just a minute. Wine in the house of God. Are you kidding me? I mean, going to get a family, bring them to the church, that's one thing. That's what we all ought to be invested in doing, going to get people and bring them to the house of God. But then taking them in a Sunday school room back here and giving them Budweiser? Now, I know there's some churches that are doing that today if you want to call it a church. I wouldn't even call that a church. I'd call that a nightclub, wouldn't you? I'd call it a beer joint. That's what we called it back then, a dive. But he said, now go get this family, bring them into the Lord's house, put them in a chamber, Hey, and give them something to drink. Now, look at verse number 3. Then I took Jehazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habadaziah, and his brethren, and all of his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord. Then jump down, if you will, to verse 5. And I set before the sons of the house of the, of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. Are you kidding me? In the house of God, bringing a family in, commanding them to drink. But look at verse 6. But they said, We will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rachel, our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons, Forever. Boy, you got kind of like that attitude, don't you? Look at verse 7. Neither 
shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor have any, but all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rachel, our father, in that all he charged us to drink no wine, all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters. Amen, he said. We're not going to do it. Look down at verse number 10. But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Now, go over into the chapter, verse 18. And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of John, Jonadab your father and kept all of his precepts and done according unto all that he hath commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rachel shall not want a man to stand before me forever. You say, preacher, thank you for reading that, but I'm all confused. Well, what we have here is the story of a godly man who commanded his children, now here's some things we're not going to do. Here's some things, here's the way we're going to live. And then we find that many years later, even after the death of old Jonadab, his boys are still living by what their father commanded them. Now, it's a great story. Let me divide it into three sections and share it with you this morning. First of all, I want you to notice, number one, Jonadab's, his personal testimony. Jonadab's personal testimony. Now, i got to tell you, we run into this guy in chapter 35 of the book of Jeremiah, but we, we really meet him the first time in the Bible back in the book of 2 Kings chapter number 10. You see, some 300 years before what I've read you in the book of Jeremiah, 300 years prior to this, we run in to this boy, this man, by the name of Jonadab. And back in 2 Kings chapter number 10, verse number 15, we're introduced to Jonadab. But we meet him in a most unusual way. Because look at verse 15, let me read it to you, 2 Kings chapter 10. And when he was departed thence, he lighted on, and there he is now, Jehonadab, the son of Rachel, coming to meet him. Now, this is about Jehu. Anybody in here know who Jehu is in the Bible? You say, Jehu? Right, Jehu. Exactly. Jehu? Yeah, Jehu. You got it. Jehu was the closest thing that the northern kingdom would ever have, the northern kingdom would ever have, to a good king. Closest thing that they ever come to having a good king was in this boy by the name of Jehu. And let me tell you what Jehu had been called by God to do. In the land of Israel, the northern kingdom, they had started worshiping a false god by the name of Baal. B-A-A-L. It was actually introduced into the northern kingdom by Bill and Hillary, I mean by, by Ahab and Jezebel. I'm sorry, slipped right out. Let me put that right back in, and oh, it does taste bad going back down. So Baal worship has been introduced into the northern kingdom by Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Now let me tell you something. Baal worship involved all types of immorality and prostitution. It was a very ungodly religion. And so the northern kingdom fell into worshiping Baal as their true and their living God. Well, God had had it up to here with that mess, and he called this boy by the name of Jehu to rid the northern kingdom from Baal worship. Let me tell you how God did it. He actually told Jehu, you go through the land of, 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 of Israel, 
and anybody that's worshiping Baal, you kill them. I mean, just hurt them up and get rid of them. And Jehu, with great zeal and intensity, starts traveling the length and the breadth of the land of the northern kingdom, and anybody he finds worshiping Baal, he gets them together and kills them. Now our text now, look again. When he was departed thence, this is Jehu. When Jehu departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rachel, coming to meet him, and he saluted him. And he said to him, so Jehu says to, to Jehonadab, is thine heart right as my heart uh, it, it, it is, is with thy heart? In other words, the first thing Jehu says to Jehonadab, hey, are you right with God? Is your heart right? Hey, are you one of these Baal worshipers? And notice what old Jonadab answered and said, It is. If it, be, if it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up uh, uh, to him into the chariot. So Jehu says, Hey, Jonadab, is your heart right? And he said, Yes, sir, it is. Give me your hand. And he pulls him up into the chariot. And the Bible says this, verse 16. And Jehu says to Jehonadab, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. So now he's joined into cohorts with Jehu, the prophet of God, who's to rid Israel from the worship of Baal. Now let me tell you something. That tells us something about this boy by the name of Jehonadab. It tells me this. Number one, his heart's right because Jehu asked him if it was. Number two, it tells me that he has just as much zeal for God as Jehu does. He was tired of the worship of Baal going on in the northern kingdom just like Jehu was. So he crawls up in the chariot and begins to help Jehu rid the land, the northern kingdom, of Baal worship. In other words, old Jehu says, Hey, uh, hey, are you zealous? Why don't you come with me and see my zeal for the Lord? Let me tell you something, friend. Old Jehu, we know, was a man of great zeal. And that leads me to believe that old Jonadab had great zeal for the Lord too because Jehu wouldn't have led him in the chariot if he hadn't had it. Boy, it tells me a little bit about his personal testimony. Hey, can I ask you dads a question this morning? And my question to you is this. How zealous... Are you about your relationship with God? I looked up that word zealous, some synonyms that kind of go along with that. The word zealous, uh, synonyms, devotion, devoted, eager, fervor, intensity, passion, sincerity. Now, let me ask you a question, men. Let me ask you, how devoted are you to God? How eager are you for the things of God? How fervor are you when it comes to, to the Lord Jesus? How intensity, how much is your intensity toward God? How, how passionate are you about your relationship with God? How sincere are you about serving the Lord? I'll tell you the one thing we understand about old Jehonadab is this. He was a man who had great zeal when it comes to the things of God. You know, sad but true, many men, many of us men in our day, we get more stoked over golf than we do God. We get more pumped over fishing than we do the Father. 
We get more excited over cars than we do church. We get more enthused over jo our job than we do our Jesus. This man, Jehonadab, had a testimony that he was zealous for God, that his heart was right, that his position and his condition was right. He was going all out for God. He rejected the worship of Baal. And from the, the way that he brought his family up, we come to understand that, buddy, he was against Baal and he wouldn't have it, let his family have anything to do with Baal. Baal either. He was against Baal and they would not serve or worship Baal. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you is this. He wouldn't let his kids wear Baal's clothes. He wouldn't let his kids listen to Baal's music. He wouldn't let his kids watch Baal's programs on TV. He was zealous and excited and enthused for the things of God. Well, I tell you what this what our country needs today more than ever is some old-fashioned men that's made up their mind that you're not going to wear Bell's clothes. You're not going to listen to Bell's music. You're not going to watch Bell's TV program. We're going to serve God, the true and the living God, and Him only are we going to serve. Boy, we need to have a personal testimony like that. Yes, sir, he was excited about the things of God, his personal testimony. But now come with me to our text, Jeremiah 35, and let me mention not only his personal testimony, but his parental teachings, his parental teachings. You see, old Jonadab has instilled into his children some things. He has put some things in their hearts. Now, I told you this is really an amazing story because what we've got here is God telling the prophet to go get a family, bring them into the church house, and give them liquor to drink. Unbelievable. But now, God, remember, God is using this as an illustration, an example, to hold up before all the people of Judah to say, hey, here's some old boys that's still listening to their earthly father. You won't listen to me. I'm your heavenly father. But here's some old boys that 300 years later, 300 years after the death of Jehonadab, are still living by their great, 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 great. I counted it. It had to be at least eight generations. So Jehonadab was these boys' great, 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 great grandpa. And 300 years later, they're still living by what he's put in their heart. Talking about having an influence and a legacy on a family. So Jeremiah goes out and finds a family and brings them in. Really, let me tell you what they are. They're really a bunch of nomads. And when I say that, I don't say that disrespectfully, but these people, they, they've never lived in a permanent structure, a permanent house. They've dwelt in tents all the days of their life. Their daddy put that in their heart. Don't move into the city. That's where the sin is. Live out here in the desert. Stay right with God. Live out here on your own. Don't have your house. Live in tents. But boys, whatever you do, don't you ever drink wine. Don't ever have anything to do with that. So in verse number 5, watch this. The Bible said Jeremiah brings them in, puts pots. Man, I'm talking pots full of wine before these boys. And then Jeremiah says, all right, boys, help yourself. It's on the house. Drink all you want. And verse number 6, but they said, and I'm going to use a Hebrew word, nuh-uh. Let me use southern Hebrew, no. We're not going to do that. Listen, prophet or no prophet, wrong or right, our father 300 years ago, Jehonadab, Jeremiah, you may not remember him, but our, our daddy 300 years ago 
told us to never let, not let that stuff touch our lips. And Jeremiah, no. Look at verse 6. They said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rachel, our father commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink nor wine, neither ye nor your sons, forever. And a little bit later in the same text, down in verse number 8, Jonadab, uh, these boys speak up and say, Look, we're not go Jeremiah, we just got to tell you something. Thank you for inviting us to church. Appreciate the invitation. But we're not going to drink it. Our wives are not going to drink it. And our children is not going to drink it. Because our daddy years and years ago, commanded us that we were never, ever to drink that. i tell you what, he had some parental teachings going on. And by the way, if you look down at verse number 10, the Bible said this, We have just done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. Can I just stop and say it? You don't have to. Amen. Thank God for some daddies who took a stand and for some children who down through the years, through the generations, just followed the teaching of their daddy. 300 years later. Think about that. You would think somewhere along the line, somebody would get out of sorts. You'd think somewhere down the road, somebody would veer off to the right. But 300 years later, these boys are still following the teachings of their daddy. Eight generations removed, and his legacy lives on. Can I ask you something? What kind of a legacy are you leaving? I wonder, and I know the Lord's coming in 300 years. How many of y'all believe that? I'm really looking for him in the next three years. But I believe the Lord's coming. I don't think we got another 300 years. But just suppose that I die. Let's see, I am, I am 56. Let's say, let's don't get this date too close. So let's say, uh, let's say I live to be 93. So I've got another what? Man, I got another, what, 30-some years, man. I got another 35 Christmases left. 35 birthdays, December 19th, don't forget it. I got, but let's just say I die. I wonder in 35 years, will my family still be influenced by the legacy that I'm leaving them? Will my, will my children, my, my children will be on up in years by then, but I wonder if they'll still be following the Word of God and sitting in the house of God. I wonder if my grandchildren, my grandchildren will have children by then. I wonder if, if my legacy, if my influence will live on long after I'm gone. Well, it really depends on what kind of a legacy you're leaving. I tell you what, I want my kids to know that their daddy loves the Lord Jesus. I want my children to know their daddy loves the house of God. I want their, my children to know my daddy believes this book, this Bible, to be the Word of God. I want their, them to know that their daddy still believes there are some still right things that we can do and wrong things that we can do as Christians living in these days. I want them to know it's still wrong to drink liquor and smoke weed and do drugs and live immoral and listen to bad music and watch bad TV programs on television. I hope... If, if, if the Lord takes me, I hope my legacy will just continue right on down the road. And I hope years, years from now that somebody in my family will look back and say, you know something, man, I tell you what, man, that family was influenced by his life. I'll not leave my kids a lot. I'll not leave them millions of dollars, homes here, there, cars, uh, maybe Gertrude. Gertrude's still running. 
I won't leave them a lot, but I tell you, bless your heart, what I'd like to leave them, that they had a daddy that lived for God. And my daddy said no to some things, and I know times are changing, and people don't believe that way anymore, but my daddy said no to it. He taught us to say no to it, and we're going to say no to it to this very day. Amen. What are we leaving our children? His personal testimony. His parental teachings. But I want you to see this. Notice lastly in this text, his perpetual treasure. Did you notice after all this was over, did you notice in chapter 35 when it was all said and done and they said no? And then if you look in the verses uh, kind of leading up to this, God said, hey, here's a family that's still listening to their earthly father 300 years later, and y'all won't listen to anything that your heavenly father says. So God is using them to bring conviction, to convict the heart of the people of Judah. They've got a heavenly father they won't listen to, but here's, some, here's, here's just a nomadic family that's still listening to their earthly father. So God was convicting the people through this illustration. By the way, God was not saying, come to church and get drunk. That's not what this is all about. You, understand, you do understand that, right? Y'all looking at me like, oh, would you say amen if you just believe what I just said? No, 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 no. Ain't, Y'all ain't getting off that easy. God is not teaching this family, hey, come to church and get drunk. Would you say amen if you agree with that? He's using them as an illustration. But when it's all said and done, if you'll look at this text, God said this to old Jonadab. Look at verse 18. Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, kept all of his precepts, and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, same guy we read about, Second Kings, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. Can I put that in precise? You say, preacher, I don't understand. I want to. Let me put it in precise kind of language. He said, John and Dad, because you've done what's right and now your boys and your children's doing what's right, you won't ever have to worry. There'll always be people in your family that are right with me. Boy, is, hey, could you ask for anything better? After I'm gone, that my family will keep on serving God. After I'm gone, the things that I've tried to put into their minds and instill into their hearts, they'll still be living by. Though the world may have turned against all that and say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. This is the 21st century. It's a different day. It's a different culture. You can go ahead and do that now. And my kids would say, no, Daddy said no. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to leave that kind of a legacy behind? Daddy said, yeah. Daddy said, no. Daddy said, yeah, and we'll do it. Daddy said, no, we won't do it. He had a, a perpetual treasure. I want you to listen to this, and I'm done. It's 10.59, and we're ready to go. Many of you have probably heard this before, but years ago, and I wrote the dates down, 1874, there was a man by the name of Richard Dugdale. Dugdale, that was his last name. And he was an employee of the New York uh, prison system back in 1874. And his job was to keep up with various prison, uh, the prisoners in the different prisons in the state of New York. Well, while keeping up with all these prisoners, he got to noticing that in six different prisons in the state of New York, there were members from the same family. True story. Six different prisons had members, multiple members, from the same family. So what he did is he just decided he was going to do a study of that family. And the head of that family was a man by the name of Max 
That was his last name. And this Dugdale, this Dugdale guy, gave him a last name because he was a little bit confused by it, so he called him Max Jukes. And what they did was, he just did a, a, just like a family tree, a genealogical tree. You see a lot on TVs today of the Max Jukes family. And so here's an old boy, his name is Max, and he, and he has no desire for the things of God whatsoever. He drank, he was a heavy drinker. He only married one time, but he had multiple children outside of that marriage. So we know that he lived a, a life of great debauchery, great wickedness. And his descendants, so this guy, Dugdale, started doing just a family tree on him, and here is what he came up with. Of, of this, out, of this, out, of this, out of this lineage come 1,026 descendants. Listen to this now. 300 of those 1,026 descendants died prematurely. They were born early or they were born, they were not cared for properly from their mom or their dad, and they died prematurely. Sixty-seven of that 1,026 died of syphilis, of sexually transmitted diseases. One hundred ninety of those descendants were public prostitutes. One hundred of those descendants were alcoholics. Two hundred eighty of those descendants lived in absolute poverty. 140 of those descendants received government assistance. 150 of those descendants, of which seven of them were murderers, were incarcerated. And the whole family, all through the years, didn't have one person that actually turned out to contribute anything to society. You say, where did it all start? It all started because there was a man that had no desire for the things of God. And generation after generation after generation followed in his footsteps. Now listen to this, and I'm done. It's Lev Motu. In 1897, a man by the name of A.E. Winship was, was assigned from his college professor to write a term paper on Jonathan Edwards. Now Jonathan Edwards was the leader of what we call the Great Awakening in America. Jonathan Edwards was the, the preacher that preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he was farsighted. He couldn't see, or he was near whichever one. He couldn't see well, and he had very thick glasses. And so to preach his sermon, he literally had to hold his sermon notes this close to his face so he could just read off what he had written down in the sermon. And when he got through preaching, the power of God was so real, people were hanging on to the poles of the church, begging God to save them, fearing they were going to drop off the very face of the earth and drop off into hell. And God used him to waken the colonies of America. And God started the revival through men like Jonathan Edwards. Well, this old boy was commissioned to, uh, by his professor, said, do a term paper on him, and here's what he found. Of the 729 descendants from Jonathan Edwards, 300 of them were preachers. 65 of them were college professors. 13 of them were university presidents. 60 of them authored books. Three of them were United States congressmen. One of them was vice president of the United States, and every member of his family contributed something back to society. What made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. Max, no God. Edwards had God in his life. Guys, you see why we ought to make a priority out of God? You see why we ought to put God not just a place in our life. Many of us men have just got God as a place. Somebody say, hey, you know God? Oh, yeah, he's got a place. 
But God don't want just a place in your life. And God don't even want prominence in your life. Somebody say, you know God, oh yeah, man, I just want you to know, man, God's like that. We're buddies. We bump chest. He's my posse. Yeah, I, I got God. Place, prominence. You know what God wants? Preeminence. God wants some men who will put God where God needs to be, and that's first place in our life, that in all things, Colossians 1.18, that he might have the preeminence, that he might be number one. Not golf, not fishing, nothing wrong with those things, but where's God at in our life? And if we're going to influence generation after generation to come, we're going to have to walk with God. Walk with God. Can I have an amen? Then somebody said this, that our children will never find God as their father until they see something of God in their father. Boy, that's kind of a heavy responsibility, is it not? That our children will not find God as their father until they see something of God in their father. Everybody needs two fathers. Everybody needs a, an earthly father. And everybody needs a heavenly Father. There's more, there's more, listen, there is more to fathering a child than just biology. <laughs> Men want to run around all over the country, make babies and just leave them behind. There's more to this thing than just biology, fellas. There's something called sociology. There's something called psychology. There's something called theology. There's something called soteriology. There's something called Christology. Our kids, they need an earthly father. But they'll never find the, the heavenly father till they see something of the heavenly father in their earthly father. So what kind of an example are we setting today? Amen and amen. We'll not drink it, Jeremiah. Prophet or no prophet. Right or wrong. Daddy said no. And for 300 years, we've done what daddy said. Amen. Amen. You're welcome. I love you. Let's pray.